Tony Hines and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, this is the news roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Central banks in the United States and in the United Kingdom hold steady this week. Interest rates remain held. And it's the first time in the United Kingdom for 14 consecutive months that the interest rate has held steady. It stands at 5.5%. So is this a turning point or is it just a blip? The inflation figures reported in the UK this week fell to 6.9%. And that was a little unexpected. People expected the inflation rate to be higher. So two announcements in two days. Inflation down and interest rates held. In the United States, there are more strikes impacting the economy. And this is at a level not seen in decades. So we'll have more on that story coming up. The August wholesale inflation rises were 0.7% hotter than expected. But it's said that the coal prices are still in check. August core inflation, excluding food and energy, rose by 0.3% in the US. The Consumer Price Index rose by 0.6% in August. It's the biggest monthly gain of this year. Inflation has risen 3.7% from a year ago. The core CPI increased from 0.3% and 4.3%, respectively against estimates of 0.2 and 4.3, according to Fed officials. The Fed is focusing more on its core inflation to try and get control of the situation. Energy prices are rising 5.6% on the month, and there's a 10.6% surge in gasoline prices. Hourly wages declined by 0.5% for the month. In the past couple of weeks, the shipping giant Maersk unveiled its first vessel using green methanol. United auto workers in the United States are striking against Detroit's three automakers in multiple U.S. states, and the strike is expected to escalate. There's been a seven-day standoff, and it could disrupt production, rippling through the supply chain and dent U.S. economic growth. The UAW organized simultaneous strikes at one assembly plant of General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler, the parent Stellantis. Approximately... 12,700 workers are on strike as a result of the UAW coordinated action. And that's out of a total of 146,000 members who work at these big three automakers. The strikes have affected the Michigan Ford Assembly Plant, where 3,300 UAW workers are, the Toledo, Ohio Stellantis Assembly Plant, where 5,088 UAW workers are, and in Missouri at Wentzville, the GM assembly plant, 3,600 UAW members. The Chicago plant hasn't been shut down by the strike and about 100 workers and supporters held up signs, stand up and tears. UAW want to end the tiered wage structure that they say has created large gaps between newer and older employees and it's been forcing people to search out other jobs to make ends meet. A couple of hundred workers and supporters gathered in a car park in Kentucky, and passing cars were honking horns in support. The strikes are likely to escalate if there's no progress. General Motors said it remained in talks with the UAW at the end of the week. 
The impact of the strikes has begun to spread to suppliers. On Thursday, Borg Warner said any hit on sales is expected to be relatively modest. However, if the strikes were to continue for several weeks, it would impact customer plants and affect the US economy, of course. The ongoing walkout at mid-sized truck factories benefits rivals such as Toyota. The strikes at Chevron's Australian LNG facilities have ended. It was reported on the 22nd of September that the strikes at Gorgon Wheatstone LNG operations are at an end. Chevron accepts proposals from the industrial umpire to settle that dispute. The offshore alliance will now work with Chevron to finalise the drafting of the agreement and members will soon seize current industrial action. That's according to Brad Gandy, a spokesperson for the offshore alliance. This agreement ends the dispute, which has lasted for six weeks, and it's increased LNG prices by as much as 35% in August. On the result of this settlement, markets eased, and it's expected that prices will now actually stabilise. Japan, Britain and Italy this week said that they would be choosing headquarters in London for the next generation of fighter programme production. This partnership could expand and include other nations, but at the moment the three countries established the Global Combat Air Programme, GCAP, in December after Britain and Japan agreed to merge their fighter efforts in a groundbreaking collaboration which aims to deploy advanced aircraft by the middle of the next decade. Both Japan and Britain will dominate the design and manufacturing on the project. It's rumoured that the headquarters will be in Britain, but that someone from Japan could possibly lead it. Discussions about the headquarters are ongoing, so this is not yet final, but it is likely. Apple faces more disruption with its troubled strikes in France. The strikes are taking place at Apple stores throughout France, and they'll happen on Friday and Saturday. And this could impact the sale of the new iPhone 15. They want better pay and they want better working conditions. So that's ongoing. The Office of National Statistics in the United Kingdom said that there was a 0.4% rise, but that figure grew to 0.6% when the effect of fuel sales were excluded. So retail sales have been lower as a result of the weaker fuel demand. Stronger clothing sales have driven increases. Fuel sale volumes were lower at 1.2%. And the rise in global oil prices, now hitting around $95 US dollars per barrel, which is up nearly $20 from the figures earlier in the summer when fuel prices fell. And this is all the result of the cartel, the OPEC Plus group, putting pressure on the market to raise prices. And fuel pump prices have risen. It's now about £1.60 for a gallon of petrol in the United Kingdom. Production cuts by Saudi Arabia and Russia have been blamed for the hikes in the pump prices that are being reflected both in the United Kingdom and, of course, the United States and elsewhere in Europe. Now, you might remember the iconic body shop set up by Anita Roddick to find sustainable products in the cosmetic industry. 
Well, it's up for sale, and the Waterstones backer, Elliot, is among suitors for that particular company. You'll also remember that I reported on the demise of Wilco, the bargain basement store that hit difficulties and is now being broken up. And there have been lots of suitors for that business. Competitors such as, such as B&M have bought a number of stores and the range has bought the brand name Wilco. And they intend to run that Wilco brand name uh, through their website. So they will stock a number of Wilco products and sell them. But there's been a large number of job losses. The dust hasn't settled yet on the whole deal, but uh, it's a great shame that that brand has hit such problems. The last Wilco store in the UK will probably close in October. And this week there was some news about the pension fund. Apparently there's some concern now that the pension scheme will not be able to pay some of the pension payments to former employees and it may have to pass over the responsibility to government. Now this is a real disgrace because the owners of the company have taken out some serious money in the form of dividends during the past years when the cash was running out in the business and the profits were actually losses. Apparently in the year there were £39 million worth of losses. The owner of Wilco, who was the granddaughter of the founder, took out about £7 million. So if that is the case, if that's the reality, that's allegedly, if that is the case, that just seems completely unethical. Now there was an interesting story caught my eye this week on CNN Business News. This is not a new story, it's a... It's a story that uh, I just happened to come across, and it, it, I think it was a, a story that broke earlier in the year before the summer, where they reported that the FBI is warning consumers against using public phone charging stations, and that's to avoid exposure of their devices to malicious software. So public USB stations found at shopping malls, airports, etc., are being used by thieves to spread malware and place monitoring software on the phones. So yet another cyber threat, which can be done through the charging of the phone. They call this juice jacking. Just by plugging your phone into a compromised power strip, the device can be infected, and it compromises all of your data on the phone. So be watchful. The Train Drivers Union, NASLEF, has announced the next round of industrial action. It's a long and bitter dispute that they've had with 14 English train operators over pay, jobs and working conditions. Drivers are set to walk out on the 30th of September and on the 4th of October, which will cancel thousands of trains every day and obviously cause major disruption to people trying to get to places by rail. There are also strikes which have taken place over the past year. The rail strikes began in June 2022 and they're the first national rail strikes since the 1980s. And there are parallel disputes with 14 leading English train operators, mainly the ones that run into city and commuter services. Transport for Wales and ScotRail have been largely unaffected. So what's the problem? Well, both unions, that's ASLEF and the rail workers, are asking for higher level pay than inflation. They say that they are prepared to discuss reforms, which is what's been put forward by the companies. They want things to change in the working practices, but the government seems unwilling 
to take part in serious negotiation to settle the strike and is prepared to just let the strikes go ahead. The operators say it will cause more disruption to the rail system and affect travellers. They say they want to give their staff a pay increase, but it's always been linked to implementing sensible reforms that would enhance services for passengers. But this, of course, is disputed by the unions who say the kind of change that they're wanting to make will actually make passenger services worse. And what's more, they're also claiming it could introduce safety concerns for passengers. Drivers' base salaries without overtime is about £60,000 and they want that to rise to £65,000. The Department of Transport has said it's a fair and reasonable offer that both the RMT and ASLEF RMT members have received. And that's as far as they've gone. So meanwhile, chaos on the rail system. Avanti, who run the West Coast operation, they took over from Virgin Rail a few years back, are said to have improved their service operations. And because of that, they've been awarded a nine-year contract. So the contract is for nine years. They can get out of this contract after three, the government. But it does seem very strange because they've been a really poor company on this service with lots of cancellations over time. But apparently in the past year, they've only had 1.1% cancellations and they say they've rebuilt timetables. Well, they have rebuilt timetables without many trains running. As an example, you can't get trains down the West Coast directly from some stations. They've just cut them out of the service. And that's really poor. So if you want to reward poor service, get a government contract. There was a rumour breaking this week too that the government is considering cancelling the Birmingham to Manchester leg of the HS2 project because of increasing costs. Well, I've got news for everyone. Those increasing costs are always around when big projects are around. Costs are never accurate and they're hardly ever controlled. If you look back through the major infrastructure projects over the past century, they've nearly all exceeded budget, if not all. So, it's about decisions, choices and the future. And at the moment, we don't seem to be looking to the future. One of the last major rail investments, of course, was in London with the Crossrail project. And that went on for years and increased in cost immensely. I guess if Manchester was London, this would still be going ahead. Another piece of news this week was that the European Union is unlikely to reduce or renegotiate the terms of the Brexit agreement with regard to the export of vehicles from the UK to Europe. And there will likely be a 10% tariff on EVs going from the UK to Europe, and that will remain in place. So that will probably make production costs look a little higher from the UK if you're a buyer in the EU. There's lots of loose ends that aren't tied up on Brexit. And we're probably going to pay the price a little bit down the road. China state subsidies for electric vehicles amounted to about 56 billion US dollars between 2016 and 2022. And the European Union last week called for an investigation into the subsidies that were given. They're concerned that the market is not fair or transparent and this could badly affect European car manufacturers as we transition to electric vehicles. So Ursula von der Leyen has asked 
the Chinese government to enter negotiations to discuss this protectionism. And I expect there's going to be counterclaims about protectionism from the Chinese government too when it comes to the European car industry. So this is likely to rumble on in the next few months and it'll be quite an interesting conversation that takes place, I would think. Back in June, China said it would be backing tax breaks for the manufacture of EVs to the tune of about 72 billion US dollars going forward over the next four years. So there's some heavy subsidies and tax breaks for the industry in China, which are unlikely to occur elsewhere in the world. China, of course, has access to all the raw materials and they've been building up this industry for the past 10 years. It's not unusual for governments to invest in nascent industries, of course, as they're developing and they often give subsidies and that happens in Western countries too. So we shouldn't be surprised that China have done this. In the United States, the Biden administration introduced the Inflation Reduction Act, which was designed to stimulate investment in new industries such as the EV battery industry. There's been a Scottish government inquiry into the delivery of the Edinburgh tram project. They've concluded it will ultimately cost taxpayers more than £1.04 billion, and that's almost double the anticipated cost of £521 million. The project is still undergoing extensions, so as to meet the contractual requirements, which they hadn't delivered by 2014. The inquiry by Lord Andrew Hardy said that the procurement strategy was set out, but it wasn't really adhered to. The statutory inquiry commenced in 2014, and it said the principal cause of the project's failure was the Transport Initiative's Edinburgh departures from established procedures with regard to procurement strategy. It noted they failed to work collaboratively with suppliers and procured services from multiple contractors for different sections of the project. That probably increased the cost significantly, I would have thought. But uh, you need to have these things tied down and you've got to follow the procedures. So it looks like a possible mismanagement of the project has caused the cost in this particular case. Uh, But of course that will no doubt be discovered in legal processes that will follow. It was claimed that the TIE didn't engage with the City of Edinburgh Council, as it should have done, to ensure that specifications for the design were met, and it didn't engage with other third parties whose consent was required for the approval of the design. So it looks as if the whole process was completely flawed. And there was a statement by Hardy, which said that uh, the chairman of the company responsible for the procurement and management of the project should not also be its chief executive. Well, that's just normal nowadays. You have the chairman and the chief executive roles separate. It's unusual to have them combined for just this kind of reason. There was a good report I read this week uh, by Joe Richardson, writing in the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply. And apparently almost half of car makers are not prepared for the new security rules which they'll face. Research was conducted in July 2023 by Kapersky and it found that 42% of the original equipment manufacturers weren't aware of the new security rules that would be facing them under the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe, WP29. This upcoming regulation sets down conditions for the development of any goods with digital or connected elements having to have hardware and software containing products 
that must reach the market with, with minimal vulnerabilities. Manufacturers have to take account of the cybersecurity issues at every stage of the product lifecycle. For automakers, it means that high-tech car models have to provide evidence that every component's been designed with security in mind. And apparently a number of C-suite decision-makers who took part in the survey about automotive threat intelligence, of those 242% of the respondents said they don't currently have a plan. And 60, nearly 64% said they weren't very involved. And 68% said they lacked understanding of the regulation and the impact it could have on their business. 64% of the respondents said they do believe that the automotive supply chains are vulnerable to cyber attacks. And of course, automobiles are being designed with an increasing amount of tech and digital tools in them, infotainment systems and other technologies inside the, the vehicles. So, welcome to the weakest link. Well, for some, this might be, you are the weakest link. Goodbye, if they don't get their act together quickly. Now, we're coming up to peak season very soon in the retail world. And that usually means that they'll be revisiting their inventories to make sure that they've got supplies for customers when they do promotions. Well, the container shipping market is rather a strange market and it's fairly volatile. It's uncertain too at the moment. The 2023 peak season is upon us and that likely runs through till January. But it's not clear how rate movements will go. They're a bit up and down. They've been fairly irregular and the demand signals have been unclear. Volume levels have been lower than expected, and the Wall Street Journal noted that the 2023 peak season appears to have arrived early, ending quickly with volumes at lower levels than expected. Spot markets on key east-west trades were tapering downwards in early September, although freight rates have received a little boost from the 1st of September. But the market sentiment is weak and they're likely to be contained. Shippers have actually lowered their capacity to try and boost the prices a little, but uh, remains to, to be seen what will happen in the coming months. The one thing that is certain is that these shipping rates are much lower than they were during the past couple of years, and shipping costs up to four or five times the normal rate. There's increasing regulation coming down the track in different parts of the world. And I read this week that uh, California is about to pass a bill, or we think they're going to pass a bill, which will mandate companies with one US billion dollars or more of revenue to account for its Scope 3 emissions. So companies need to get to grips with these Scope 3 emissions. And I was writing about these for the new edition of my supply chain book, which comes out next year. And... Lots of companies now are making these calculations. So for many who are already ahead of the game, it shouldn't be too onerous. But for some, it will come as quite a surprise. And even if you don't ship to California, these sorts of regulations are likely to be standard fare in world shipping in a year or two. Scope 3 emissions, of course, are quite tricky because they're not direct emissions made by the company itself, but there are emissions that the company is indirectly responsible for up and down the supply chain where they buy products from suppliers. And it's the emissions that accrue 
or are assigned to those particular products that have to be accounted for. So you have to know what those emissions on the products you buy actually are. Scope 1 and 2 are generally within the, the control of a company and they'll have sourced data and be able to convert direct purchases of gas and electric into values of tonnes of GHGs. GHGs, of course, are greenhouse gases. So that's in procurement departments, in the finance office, maybe in the estates function, or in, if you've got a dedicated sustainability office in that particular office. And scope two is about the renewable electricity, renewable gas that's in the system for heating or for the EVs that you have. But scope three accounts for more than 70% of carbon in the footprint of most organisations. And you've got less control over those particular emissions. So you have to map your footprint and have systems in place and processes in place to capture the data so that you can calculate what those emissions actually are. Now, some companies are already doing this, as I've said, but it's becoming increasingly essential. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.